0: OK. Lesson number 13. Understanding your religion. Seven major doctrines define the Christian faith. Lesson number 13. Uh, title of this lesson. The Subdoctrine of Regeneration. A new life in Christ. OK. So very briefly let's just do take a few minutes just to review a little bit of the stuff that we've done. We're talking about the, the seven major doctrines that define the Christian religion. Remember I, t- I said to you at the beginning, thank you Paul, I said to you at the beginning that the way that we're you know, doing this, these seven major doctrines actually a different language that we're learning. We're learning a different kind of language, a, a language of theology, if you wish, to explain the things that the Bible is teaching. Sometimes you can approach the Bible from a, a historic perspective Jesus said this, they said that, that's what this means, and so on and so forth, you know. Or you can take it uh, uh, from, um, uh, from a specific uh, a specific view, like a Christology, you know, the study of Christ, and you go through you know, the New Testament, and everywhere where Jesus is mentioned, you know, you you're, you're building your knowledge about who is Christ and what he did and what he stands for and all that. And then there's what we're doing, a kind of a theological review of the Bible, uh, looking at the seven major teachings or the seven major doctrines that actually explain the whole of Christianity. And in order to do that, we have to learn a kind of a language. okay? And that's what we've been doing. So the uh, the first five of the seven that we've looked at so far, the inspiration of the Bible, uh, the divinity of Christ, the teaching about the divinity of Christ, the original Uh, The teaching on the original goodness, God created man and the creation as good with the ability to choose right from wrong. The fall of man, separation of man from God because of sin, because of disobedience. The main point we made about that was yes, man's nature is fallen. Yes, man's nature is weakened because of sin, but man is still capable of making choices. Uh, We still have free will. We still can make a choice to believe or not to believe, to obey or not to obey, even though our nature is weakened because of sin. And then, of course, the doctrine of reconciliation. That's the one we've been studying uh, for the last couple of weeks. And the reason for that uh, is that the doctrine of reconciliation, a key doctrine, everything kind of, it's like if there's a wheel, all the spokes kind of fit into the, the the doctrine of reconciliation is like the hub. All the doctrines fit into the hub. Um, And we said that the doctrine of reconciliation is what explains what God has done to bring man back to himself, to reconcile man back to himself, to have a right relationship. And this particular doctrine is explained by ten sub doctrines. And uh, our course in the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been examining the the ten sub doctrines under reconciliation, the first of which the doctrine of election, teaches that God chooses Christ. God makes one choice when it comes to salvation. He chooses Jesus Christ to be the one who will accomplish it. The doctrine of predestination uh, teaches that God's knowledge, that His choice of Christ will achieve His goal. In other words, God knows that His choice will succeed. He knows in advance the end of things because He he lives outside of time. Uh, The doctrine of atonement or the sub-doctrine of atonement Which is the method that God uh, uses in order to reconcile man to Himself. So Christ is the person that does the work of reconciliation. Atonement is the actual thing that Christ does. The innocent pays the price for the guilty. That's that's the idea of uh, atonement. And then we talked about redemption. Redemption is uh, okay, so Christ is the person who achieves. Atonement is what Christ does. He offers His life in atonement, a payment. Okay, And redemption is the result. Christ is the person. Atonement is the work. Redemption is the result. Freedom. What atonement obtains for man. And what does atonement obtain for man? Freedom. Freedom from sin and death. So once a person is freed from sin and death, he or she can begin living a new life. And this new life is the subject of our, uh, one, three, four, five, our sixth subdoctrine, which is uh, regeneration. So the new life that we have, because Christ, because God chose Christ, Christ died for us, and in dying for us, we're, we're freed. And now that we're free, we're free to live a new life. And that new life is explained in the doctrine of regeneration. Okay, So let's uh, look at the background of the word regeneration. The word regeneration itself, um, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul writes, uh, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration. See all the doctrines that are there? You see the doctrines? But according to His mercy, what mercy? Uh, Ascending Christ, the atonement. By the washing of regeneration. There's the the doctrine. And renewing by the Holy Spirit. The word literally means revivication. The renewing of the seasons. To make alive again. When you're talking about regeneration, what you're talking about is something is then it's not, then it is again in a new form. That's regeneration. So we can say that atonement permits a spiritually dead person the freedom to be spiritually alive. Regeneration. OK. That another term that we use a lot uh, you know, uh, within Christianity in general is the term born again. So we're born Again, We were born, we fell, we're born again. Okay? Um, lots of uh, imagery uh, about this idea of regeneration in the Old Testament. For example, the restoration of the Jewish people from slavery. That was a regeneration. They were a people. They went into slavery. They were freed. Okay? The rebuilding of the temple. The temple was the temple was destroyed. The temple was rebuilt. Regeneration. So these are examples of God regenerating His people and their practices of religion over and over again in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, lots of imagery that explains or teaches the idea of regeneration. John chapter 3, verses 3 to 7, you know, when uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born Again, right? Birth to rebirth. You're alive. You're dead because of sin. You're made alive again. Born again. Regeneration. Uh, Romans chapter 6 verses 16 and 17. Paul says we were slaves of sin and now we're free from sin. So we were free when we were born. We became slaves to sin when we began to sin and then we were freed from sin, freed from that enslavement. Why? Because of Jesus' atonement. He pays the price. The jail door opens. We are freed. Romans 8, 14. Um, He says, uh, or Paul says, uh, that uh, we are now, because of the Spirit, we are now sons who cry, Abba, Father. So we were children of God. We were then uh, 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 strangers to God because of sin. And now we've been adopted back in being God's son. We've been renewed. Second Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about if you're a new man in Christ. So the old man, right, to the new man. Regeneration. Always, I'm just repeating, I'm just, I'm just giving you points of scripture in the New Testament where the apostles, the writers, are talking about this idea. They don't always use the term regeneration. Sometimes they use an image or an idea, but it's always about regeneration. right? Okay? One more. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, eight, verse 8, he says, it transfers us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Okay? From light to dark to light again. So um, in the New Testament, the concept of regeneration is expressed as something that was, then was not for some reason, and then brought back by God's intervention. So something is, it's not, and then because of what God does, once again is, but is different. OK, so let's talk about the gospel and regeneration. The basic message of the gospel or the good news Is that regeneration is not just possible, but that regeneration is now possible for everyone. Everyone's going to get the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter says, you know, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you that the Jews who were listening to Him, the forgiveness of sin part, that was, you know, yeah, we know about that because John the Baptist had taught that. But the thing they really keyed in on was, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, wow. That was the fulfillment of the promise from the prophets in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, only certain people received the Spirit, the kings, the prophets, the judges, and only for a time. Isaiah would say, the Spirit was upon me and he spoke. Right? Samson, the spirit was with him and he did great things and he disobeyed God. The spirit left them and then the spirit came. You know, David would say in a prayer, please Lord do not take your spirit away from me. They were aware of the fact that the spirit came on a few people uniquely and not for a long time. But now Peter gets up and what does he say? The man, the woman, the Greek, the Jew, the slave, the free, the poor, the rich, the intelligent, the, the, the not so intelligent, the, you know, every class, every race, everybody, everybody gets the spirit. That was the promise. That was the big deal in Acts chapter 2. Certainly, of course, the idea of being baptized, you know, that, that was the way to receive. But the good news was not just that I'm forgiven. The good news, because they had a system for forgiveness of sins, you know, a sacrificial system. Now The really great news was everybody gets the spirit, everybody. Okay. So the gospel describes the regenerative process as a before and after picture with the redemptive work of Christ's atoning sacrifice in the middle. So in Romans chapter 5 verse 16 he says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Oh, What's that? Atonement. You see what I'm saying? They'd always use the word. They describe it. So he says, uh, uh, where was I? So while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by His life. Uh, renewal. Regeneration. Basically he's saying look while you were an enemy and while you hated God and while you disobeyed Him He was at work saving your soul. So can you imagine how much He's on your side now that you're saved? (laughs) If He loved you so much before you were forgiven, before you came to Him, He loved you so much, He gave His Son for you. You If He loved you that much before and He put so much effort into saving you, imagine now that you're saved, now that you're there, Imagine what He can do for you now. For those Christians who still felt a little wobbly in their faith, a little frightened that maybe they weren't good enough or they're not going to make it. That's what He's saying. Don't worry. Don't worry. So, as I say, Romans 5, 6 to 11 explains how the doctrines fit together. It's like a before and after. Before you have sin and sin causes guilt and fear and condemnation and despair, uh, spiritual death, no realistic hope of heaven. Now some people have a hope if you wish but it's not a true hope. You know The terrorists you know, they have a hope of going to paradise. You know, if they blow up innocent people and children and so on and so forth then they'll go straight to paradise. They have that hope but that's not a realistic hope. Because their leader, their religious leader, his grave is still there. Our our religious leader, he's raised from the dead. We're we're the only religion. Christianity is the only religion whose leader has risen from the dead. No no other religion would even try to pull that off. (laughs) And so that's the before experience. Then you have the cross and then you have the after experience. So the person who responds with faith to the cross of Christ, and I've explained this before, through the way to express our faith through repentance and baptism, that person receives freedom from fear and condemnation, judgment and death, produces a, a, a true hope and peace in them, results in eternal life. So it's the before and after. You know like that song, "I was lost, but now I'm saved." What's that writer talking about? Regeneration. Renewal. He's not using that word, but that's what he's talking about. Okay. And like I said, in this class, I'm just trying to use those terms so you'll understand those terms. So that while you're reading your Bible, believe it or not, you're going to be reading and you're going to go, oh, atonement. Oh, he's talking about atonement. Oh, he's talking about regeneration. Oh, he's talking about predestination. Okay? Alright. So. Let's talk about regeneration and transformation. The doctrine of regeneration describes the transformation that takes place when a person has been freed from sin and its consequences by the atoning work of Christ. So regeneration is not something that we do. I don't regenerate myself. It is something that happens to us as a result of the redemption or freedom that is obtained for us by Jesus through His death on the cross. In other words, what Jesus does purchases our freedom. Our freedom then allows us to be regenerated. For example, a baby does not give itself life, right? Being born is the result of the actions of other people. Well, in the same way, the doctrine of regeneration explains what happens to a person when he or she is born again as a result of the freedom obtained through the death of Jesus on the cross and not as a result of anything we do. The reason that I can be born again is because of what Jesus did, not because of what I have done. So regeneration as a doctrine details the changes that take place as a person goes from being dead in disbelief and sin to being alive through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine of regeneration. Regeneration is usually explained using comparisons to demonstrate the differences between the old and the new. So as you're reading, these are some of the passages that talk about, may not use the word, but talk about this phenomenon. So you know, from being lost to being saved. Mark 16:16, right? Uh, Jesus says, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. So... Uh, Obviously you were lost and then you're saved. So what's Jesus is talking about? He's talking about the process of regeneration. What happens? How do you do that? Acts 2.38, Peter says, repent and be baptized each one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What happens there? You're you're condemned and and then you go from being condemned to being forgiven. What's that? Well, that's renewal. You go from being a sinner to a saint. Romans 1.7. You go from being an outsider to an insider, Galatians 3.20. You go from being unrighteous to righteous, 1 John 1, 7, 9. You go from being dead to being alive spiritually, John chapter 3, verse 5. There are many, many other passages. but So being a son or being forgiven or being a saint or being saved, these are not things that we do. These are things that we are. That you have become as a result of your union with Jesus Christ. So when you become these things, it means that you have been transformed and regenerated. Now, born again, that's a great term. I mean, it's a biblical term. Jesus says you need to be born again. It's a great term because it describes a totally new and different experience of life not experienced or known before. I've often said the great advantage of being converted when you're an adult, as was in my case, I was 30 years old when I became a Christian. I mean, I I grew up learning about religion and Christianity and the Catholic Church and so on and so forth, but truly having a faith of my own and responding to the gospel on on my own, recognizing I was a sinner, I needed salvation. I was 30, a young adult. The advantage of that is that I remember what it was like being dead. spiritually. I remember that. Absolutely no thought whatsoever to God or spiritual things. or you know, It was all about how can I get what I want with the least amount of effort, pretty much. How can I gratify my feelings? I'm hungry. Let's eat. You know, and all the other desires of my flesh. How can I just satisfy those? Maybe without getting in trouble. So I remember never thinking about God. Never. You cross my mind. Religion. You know, people used to talk about religion to me. And it's like they were saying blah, 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 blah. It's like pfft. I don't have time to go through my own conversion story. But I can tell you that, wow, I remember what it's like being dead. <laughs> I remember. So one advantage. It's the only advantage of being converted when you're older. Okay. So born again is a great term. Now I want to make a little side note here, a little parenthetical statement. There is no such thing as a born again Christian. Every time I hear that I want to pull whatever hair I have left out of my head. There is no such thing as a born again Christian. All Christians are people that have been born again. When you say born again Christian, you know what you're essentially saying? I was a Christian and then I became a born again Christian. No. No. Redundant. The thing about Christians about them, they're born again. Now you can be a Christian and you can be a a believer who has believed in an error. OK. And as you study the word and grow in your understanding and faith, begin to correct the errors that of your faith, the errors of your belief. You know, OK. That happens all the time. People believe certain things about certain things in the Bible and then they realize, well, I was mistaken about that. This is what I need. And they change their beliefs. They change their practices. Some people believe, for example, hey, big band in the church building, you know, saxophone, drums, bass, let's go, big chorus, rock and roll. This is uh, you know, uh, wonderful. And then they begin to study the issue of music and public worship and realize, hmm, that's not what the Bible teaches about how we ought to worship God and make an adjustment and perhaps seek out a church uh, such as ours, for example, that, that, that is only a cappella. Why are we a cappella? Well, that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches about public worship. We sing. That's all we do is sing. Or if we've been baptized in a, an incorrect way, sprinkled or poured, we read and we realize, wait a minute, that's not baptism. That's not how you're baptized. I was baptized as a baby, sprinkled, you know, but I had to realize after, what my experience just didn't match the teaching. So it had to be, what it, what's it, what's it going to be? My experience and what my mom and dad taught me, blah, 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 and they're good people, so on and so forth. Is it going to be that or is it going to be what I have read for myself and understood for myself in the New Testament? And I had to make a choice. So thankfully, I've I chose well. I, you know, I, I love my parents, but I I can't deny what the word actually says. So I got to go with what the word says. I know each generation has their their thing. So I, that little thing, born again. Uh, there's no such thing as a born again Christian. You're either if you're a Christian it's because you're born again. Okay. So. Um, Let's keep going. Life signs. Yes. Life signs of regeneration. I I got off on on a tangent there. Forgive me. So the changes created and described by regeneration cannot be seen. You can't see forgiveness. You can't see sainthood. You can't see salvation. Just like you can't see the wind. However, just as the wind can be seen in what it produces, waves, trees swaying, so on and so forth, regeneration is seen in what it produces in the life of the believer. So the new life, the born again life, has a quality, it has a character which can be seen by other people and in this way prove that the regeneration has taken place. How do you know you're born again? Because I can see the signs of that born again life in your life. So just as a person gives life signs to show that he is alive and well, a born again or regenerated person also has life signs to show that he or she is alive spiritually and well. Let me give you a couple of these. First, of course, a zeal for Christ. Regeneration puts Jesus at the center of one's life. And a good example is Paul, the apostle, after being converted, was entirely focused on preaching the message of regeneration. He threw off everything. He was so zealous that he nearly got killed. He almost didn't have a career. You know, between the time he was called on the road to Damascus and the time he was sent off in Acts 13 for mission work, 14 years between the, those two periods. 14 years. He was in training, if you wish. Okay. But he was zealous. You know, newborns they're close to their mothers. They cling to the ones who gave birth to them. Well, it's the same thing with Christians. Those who are regenerated, born again by Christ, they want to stay close to Him, feed on Him, please Him, know Him. Another life sign, zeal for the church of Christ. I love the, the term the church of Christ to, to, to describe us. It's a biblical term. But being a minimalist, I don't like a lot of decorations you know, in my faith. Uh, it's so simple. It gets right to the point. The church that belongs to Jesus Christ. That's—I mean yeah, It doesn't get any. There are other terms for the church in the Bible. Dozens of them. You know, the church of God, the saints, the kingdom. You can call it you know, a lot of names you can call it. But I'm glad we call ourselves the church of Christ because it just says everything in just a few words. We're the church. We're the body that belongs to Jesus. Period. So a zeal for the church is also a life sign of regeneration. In Acts 2.42 we see how new Christians were engrossed in their life in the body of Christ. Those born again into God's family, they delight in the activities of that family, which include worship and study and fellowship. It's not a burden. I like coming to church, not because I'm employed by the church. I like coming to church. You know, before I became a preacher, I liked going to church. I enjoyed going. We had a Sunday night service in Montreal. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was uh, you know, it's cold in Montreal <laughs> in the winter. It's you know 17 below zero and it's dark and it's freezing and the wind and the snow is blowing. And services in Montreal, Sunday night, were at 7 p.m. And well, we used to go. Why? I had nothing to prove. I was saved. I just liked being with the brothers and the sisters. I enjoyed that experience. I wanted that experience. So it's a, it's, it's a thing. You can't have zeal for the head of the body unless you have zeal for the body itself. Thirdly, zeal for purity. For the purity of Christ. In Acts chapter 19, 18 and 19, it says, many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. You think books are expensive today? Imagine how expensive books were in the first century. I mean, just out of reach for just the common man. Couldn't have a book. Way too, way too. And they were burning them. So the regenerated state of mind brings with it a a, a repugnance of evil, a strong desire to do away with sin in one's life. Born again people, they hate their own sinfulness and they agonize over the continued evil still present in their flesh. They don't rejoice in their evil, they hate it. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I hate it when I mess up, when I talk too much, say the wrong thing, give in to the thing I know I shouldn't give in to. You know, Richard Rogers, a great preacher from Texas, once said, my flesh is wearing me out. I am so fed up with my own self. I knew exactly what he was saying. I'm so fed up with my own self. Paul cried out, Paul the Apostle, cried out the plea of every regenerated person, uh, in his own sinful flesh when he said, O oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of sin? This was Paul the Apostles. You know, established churches, was beaten and nearly killed for his faith. He, he wrote a, a good portion of the New Testament. He did miracles. He spoke in tongues. He healed. You know, he did all this stuff. If there was a reason to be a little puffed up, maybe a little proud, you know, he certainly had it. And how does he describe himself? Himself. Wretched, wretched. Oh, wretched man, he says, that I am. Why is he saying that? Well, he's taking a look at himself and he sees, Oof, there's nothing good in my flesh. There's always a fly in the ointment. There's always a, oh, a spoiler. You know, no matter how pure your intention you want it, if you really examine it closely enough, you see there's always a little bit of pride, a little bit of self- you know, in the thing. You can never get it just right. Doesn't it feel good to say exactly the right thing at the right moment and then shut up? You walk away and go, yes, yes. I do." And then you go, what am I celebrating here? <laughs> so this experience serves only to heighten the Christian's awareness of and appreciation for the atoning work of Christ on the cross. The more I see my sins, the more I appreciate the cross. So regenerated people don't rejoice over their sins. However, their sins do help them to see how much they need Christ and appreciate His sacrifice. And this realization causes joy. I know it's a very weird thing. It's a very counterintuitive thing. Most people try to avoid acknowledging their sins or looking at their sins. or They try to avoid doing that. But in Christianity, we want to see who we are. Because in seeing who we are, we see the great work that Christ has done for us. And when I see that, I'm going, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. You know, me, the sinner. I, when I go to God in prayer, I, I don't refer to myself as Michael. I say, here I am, Lord, the sinner, coming to you once again to pray. And this is not anything unique. I think it's something all of us could say, here I am, Lord, the sinner. The female sinner, the male sinner, the young person sinner, the old person sinner, it's always always the same thing. So regenerated people, they cannot be perfect because of their sinful flesh, but they have a great desire to be perfect. And they know that this hunger and thirst for righteousness will one day be satisfied, not only through the eyes of faith, but in actual fact. People say, boy, what do you look forward the most to heaven? What do I look forward to the most in heaven? No sin. No sin in me and no sin in you. you know, we say, wow, we're all going to be together in heaven. Man alive, I don't like that person now. I'm going to have to spend eternity with them in heaven. <laughs> when you say that, you forget no sin in heaven. That's why we'll be able to love each other without restraint in heaven. No sin. It's the sin in you and the sin in me that blocks us from loving each other completely. Another life sign. Got to move. Another life sign is the zeal for the words of Christ. Regenerated people have a great desire to do God's work in order to demonstrate their gratitude for their new life and to give God's glory. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. John four thirty four. So Jesus was eager to do God's work and so are the people who are born again through His sacrifice. The zeal that regenerated people have to do God's work for doing what is right, for knowing and following Jesus. This is not a burden. It's a natural characteristic of the born again spirit. These life signs among others, there are more, but these life signs separate those who are alive in Christ from those who are dead in Christ. So for the outside world of non-believers, these are signs that point to the differences between the born again and those who are not. Four of the major ones. Okay, one other thing I need to cover. We've got six minutes. Now, it's obvious that if in regeneration we go from being one thing to being another, there's a point where we cease being lost and become saved, where we cease being condemned and we become forgiven. Okay? We cease being a sinner and we become a saint. There's a point. Why, why do I say this? Because we live in time. God doesn't live in time, but we live in time. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, you know, one o'clock, two o'clock, three We live in time. So when we say born again, there's a time we weren't born again and then we were born again. Well, there's a historical moment there where you know, it changes over. What is that moment? So through the gospel, God now offers to man a new life, regeneration, and man is free and able to accept it or reject it. The deciding point. Oh my God. There we go. There we go. The deciding point, the dividing point, the transformation point is faith. Faith expressed in repentance and baptism. You know, a baby is conceived and then nurtured and then carried, but it is not born until that baby comes from within its mother's stomach, and then it is born. We don't say the baby the baby is alive maybe inside, but it's not born until it comes out into the world. Right? There's a specific, You know, they say, well, they don't ever ask, well, give me the date you were conceived. I know the parents sometimes think back and go, well, I wonder, you know." But we don't ever ask that. When were you conceived? Nobody wants to know when you were conceived. They want to know when you were born, because that's a specific day, right? Well, 2 a.m., you know, April, whatever. OK. Well, in the same way, a person's faith is conceived and it grows and feelings of repentance begin to emerge and some uh, signs of spirituality begin to develop. But that person is not born again until that person comes out of the waters of baptism. OK. A couple of... Let's go with scriptures here. Um, in John 3, 3, 4, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Watch. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So rebirth, what's the water there? Well, you know, John the Baptist, the apostles you know, baptized 3,000 people on Pentecost Sunday. Come on, the water's baptism. You don't need to be a Bible genius to put those two things together. You know, born, again, born of the water and the Spirit. So what did Peter say? You repent and be baptized. There's the water and for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. There's the Spirit. There's the water and there's the Spirit. Okay, all right. Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. What is that walking in the newness of life? Regeneration. Born again. So Paul says that we are regenerated, reborn when we share the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. How? Well, not by being buried. On, you know, they're not nailing us to a cross or putting us in a hole in the ground. That's not how we do it. In order to be reborn, we have to die first, repentance, be buried in the waters of baptism, and then resurrect a new man, a, a rebirth. Colossians chapter 2, 11 to 13, and in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh, that's the sin, right? by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, there's the water in which you were also raised up, there's the regeneration with him through faith in the working of God who raised him uh, from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. Wait, what is He talking about? Regeneration, right? You were dead, you're alive. What happened in between? You were dead, you were baptized, you're alive. Okay. Uh, Titus uh, chapter three, verses uh, five to seven, he says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, right? But according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, verse 6 and 7, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So the cleansing, the renewal of our spirit by the Holy Spirit takes place where? Well, He just said the washing, the water. Okay. So God chooses His Son to die in order to open the gates of freedom, which will allow us a new life manifested in zeal for Himself, zeal for His children, zeal for His work. And we come into this new life when we express our own faith by being buried, uh, by burying our old lives in the waters of baptism and resurrecting the new life with Christ. So let me just one more slide and then we're done. So if we wanted to do all the, all the, all the um, doctrines and I, you know, every week I try to do that, I give you all the doctrines squeezed into the least amount of words possible. So in 15 words, everything that we've learned so far, God always knew that the atonement of Christ would free believers to experience new lives. Those are the first five major doctrines crammed together along with the um, along with the subduct